Hello and welcome to The Case Files. I'm Kate Jabot, and over the course of this podcast series, I'll be bringing you the true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases, all told with unparalleled access to the people and lawyers closest to events. In this episode, we'll hear from the man whose fight for his vegan beliefs pitted him against a leading animal rights group. The worst part of it was the shock of being fired by what I did. The sense of injustice I felt, there was a sense I never felt before. We'll hear how this led to a landmark discrimination case which put veganism on the front pages around the globe. It went around the world in absolutely no time. We're sitting there watching an event that will change society. And we'll discover how this case affected the shocking situation vegans can face at work. Vegans reported having meat put in front of their faces, meat thrown at them, verbally assaulted by senior managers. They have been suffering with anxiety and got to the point where they were dreading going to work, dreading Monday because of the things they would face. Discrimination against vegans is a common experience. Today's case file is about a person losing their job being fired because of their vegan beliefs. And our story takes us to the heart of discrimination law in the UK. It's a dramatic story that asks, how far would you go to stand up for your beliefs? What would you be prepared to lose? The person at the centre of this case is Geordie Casamichana. Geordie's story doesn't start in a British courtroom. It begins in Catalonia in the 1960s. As Geordie was growing up, the fascist dictator General Franco was persecuting Catalans and repressing their culture. And the Spanish Civil War, with its horrors and concentration camps, was still firmly in people's minds. It was tough for Catalonians because he oppressed all Catalans. The world would be very hostile. It would go out the street and all policemen would be Spanish. You could not speak Catalan in the street. So I, I grew up in a sense of oppression. That really made me scared of people. And I think that is one of the reasons I can sympathize with other oppressed groups, including the animals. When you grow in a situation that is wrong, you're quite predisposed to change it if you can. You try to fight the status quo. And I think really my upbringing was the beginning of my veganism. It started off really as a kind of political interest, didn't it, for you in sort of Catalonian independence, but then became uh, veganism. How did that transition happen? In my case, what it did basically is make me want to be away from humans that seem very scary and dangerous and closer to animals that seem very nice and welcoming. And that made me want to be a zoologist. So I started my degree, my PhD in wasps, the tiny, dangerous, flying animal that everybody hates. And the more I learned about them, the more I realized how similar they are to us. That opened a window in my brain that said, oh, hold on, there's something unfair going on here. They're similar to us, and yet we treat them badly. Something had to be done. So Geordie became an ethical vegan. You wouldn't necessarily pick Geordie out of a lineup as a vegan activist, but that might say more about lazy stereotypes than the reality of veganism today. Geordie is calm, modest, thoughtful, and he thinks about his veganism from the moment he gets up to the moment he goes to sleep. It goes way beyond vegan food. Well, it affects every single aspect of my life. An ethical vegan means you seek to exclude all forms of animal exploitation and cruelty. 
Every single decision I make will imply an option that is more animal friendly. And so every time I choose anything, I choose what I want to buy for clothes, for entertainment, for hobbies. I am constantly thinking about my veganism every time I make any decision during the day. Food is easy, so I obviously only buy food that doesn't contain any animal product or hasn't been involved in any animal product in the production. But for instance, transport, if I have to go somewhere, if I can walk, I can take a bus, I can take a plane, then I would look at which is the one that minimizes more my negative impact to animals. If this is a close distance for an hour walk or something like that, I would walk because then I'm sure I'm not going to accidentally crash an animal if I take a bus or taxi or something like that. If it's a longer distance, okay, which time of the year we're talking about? Well, it's winter. doesn't matter if I take a bus or a tube because there are not insects outside in winter. I'll take the bus. But what about spring? Well, there are quite a few insects out. Okay, I'll take the tube. So these are examples of how I decide about things. Geordie's vegan beliefs extend to his choice of job. The League Against Cruel Sports must have seemed the ideal employer. It's an animal welfare charity which campaigns against the killing and abuse of animals for sport. Geordie first joined the league in the early 2000s. He was based in a large building in London and it was just after the Labour government had introduced the Hunting Act, banning fox hunting. It was exciting times politically and, and from a campaigning point of view. In my role, I was the hunting campaigner. My role was to uh, help to enforce this legislation. So that was the first time. The second time, I was hired as a head of policy and research. I was vegan already there, and it, it was relatively easy, my life as a vegan. We had an office manager that was an ethical vegan like myself, so all the products were vegan in the toilet, for instance, all the cosmetics and things like that, all the food. And we had a pension fund as well that was labeled as ethical. So the first months were okay, but then things started to change. So at what point did you realize that there was a problem, that there was something with the League that was going against your fundamental principles? Uh, well, uh, immediately when I learned about the pensions, when you join an organization, you are automatically enrolled in a pension fund chosen by the organization. And I started to check. I would do the same with any company. Mm. I then discovered where the money was going, where the money was invested from this pension fund. And although you never know all uh, the companies, they give you the 10% top companies. And those 10% were the worst companies I could imagine. And so I could not believe. Uh, I, I thought, well, that must be an error. Tell me what kind of companies we were talking about pharmaceutical companies that test on animals, petrol companies, tobacco companies that also test on animals, the biggest pharmaceutical companies that do the worst tests. Every time that you see now a demonstration against vivisection, most likely going to be against those companies. Vivisection is this general terms, covers animal testing or animal research, using animals to test the product as a new ingredient of food, for instance, but also medical research to discover different aspects of diseases and things like that. For the animals, it's a terrible thing because they are infected with disease. The researchers find out how big the dose need to be to kill them or how many side effects. So it's a horrible thing. Imagine if you were the victim that you've been tested constantly to find out how much it hurts. And they're also 
type of animals going through these uh, mice, rats, monkeys, primates like us, dogs as well, tobacco companies to make them smoke and see what happens. So it's one of the most horrible things that happens and is inflicting suffering, pain and disease to animals. I could not imagine worse ones. I could not imagine if I was uh, a person that I had this philosophy that being ethical is a horrible thing and you have to destroy everything you can, I would chose that pension fund. That's, that's how bad it was. It's a problem for me because I don't want to invest my percentage, mm. my 6% of my salary to these companies. That's against my veganism. It's a problem for my vegan colleagues that might not know this. They probably mm. need to know. And it's a problem for the organization, an animal welfare organization. So I had to address this to my, my employers. Geordie's discovery horrified him. He refused to sign up to the pension scheme. He also recognised it posed a major issue for the charity he worked for, the League Against Cruel Sports. He pointed it out to them. They seemed surprised. They seemed that they didn't know this. And they looked at it as, well, yeah, we recognise that this is a problem. We actually look at pensions at the moment. We're going to change it. So at that point, I thought, well, I discovered something good uh, and it's going to be solved. A long time passed where nothing happened. And I kept going back, what's going on with this? And there were other reasons, understandable reasons, why things were not happening as they should. There was a lot of turnover of stuff that implied things would go slower. But I could not just sit and wait, so I kept pressuring. And at one point, I thought, well, I better check with the pension provider itself. And that was the second big problem I discovered. Despite the fact I had asked not to contribute, mm. I discovered that I was contributing. The organization had contributed in my behalf, despite I asked them not to. It was actually my money being now invested in VV section, in tobacco, in petrol. I, I was much horrified that time than the first time, because now it was my money being invested. So I went back to my bosses. They all felt surprised. They all blamed somebody else. But they recognized that I had to stop. They said they would stop it. And that was going on for a year, constantly. We go back and forward. At one point, the organization said, we have found an ethical fund. Uh, we're going to change that for everyone. And they then said, if by November, all of you are happy with this change, you will be automatically changed to the new ethical fund. So at that point, I thought, well, finally, that's, that's done. But Geordie discovered that wasn't the end of it. January 2018 came over. There was a change of CEO. The CEO left. Then I learned that that pension fund had not been changed a year after. And mm. not just that, that perhaps would not be changed because he told me that the situation was much more complicated than initially thought and perhaps all the steps that had been done before were wrong. And that was, was a big issue because I knew this information and my colleagues didn't. I was told quite clearly that the management could not provide more information to staff. What I did, I discovered something new, that there were more than one ethical fund. There were almost nine ethical funds available for everyone to choose. The staff didn't know that the pension fund had not been changed to an ethical fund. The staff didn't know that if they wanted to change to an ethical fund, they could choose better ones. And so I felt that I had to tell them. So I basically told them, look, these are the array of ethical funds they are. This is how you change it. I'm not going to tell you which one you choose. But if you want to do change it, this is what you need to do. So I sent this email uh, to everyone. And that is the mail that got me fired. Two days later, I received a letter from my employer asking me to attend a disciplinary hearing for failure to follow a reasonable management instruction. And that management instruction they claimed was that I should not communicate to staff on pensions. 
Put yourself in Geordie's position. From the time you wake up till the time you go to sleep, every decision you take is made to reduce suffering to animals. What you eat, what you wear, how you travel, how you view the world. And now you've been sacked from an animal rights organisation for warning colleagues that their pension money is being invested in companies that kill and inflict suffering on animals. For Geordie, it was a really tough time. Really, the worst part of it is the shock of being fired by what I did and the sense of injustice I felt. There was a sense I never felt before. I never had that feeling. I saw it in other people, never myself. And because the statements that had been put out about my cases uh, made people think that perhaps there was something more. Perhaps I did something very bad because I was fired for gross misconduct. Is the maximum type of misconduct. That meant employers probably had the same thoughts as well. So I could not find a job. I was unemployed. So that was a hard time, psychologically hard time. One of the people Geordie reached out to in this difficult period was Jeanette Rowley from the Vegan Society. Geordie felt he'd been wrongly dismissed from his job because of his beliefs as an ethical vegan. Geordie contacted me uh, before he went to the solicitors. He wanted to talk about his ethical convictions and his situation at work. And the Vegan Society supports vegans, obviously, and people transitioning to a vegan lifestyle. Also, people needing to know more about veganism, such as employers. As Geordie talked with Jeanette, he must have realised very soon that he wasn't alone. The number of vegans in Great Britain is estimated to have quadrupled between 2014 and 2019. And now more than 600,000 people follow a vegan diet. But those people can often face very difficult situations at work. Vegans in the workplace have reported having meat put in front of their faces, meat thrown at them, being verbally assaulted by senior managers, being excluded, intentionally excluded, senior managers being excluded, people being required to do tasks that they're very, very uncomfortable with, a huge array of situations Sometimes vegans will engage with jokes and it seems that the jokes can get worse over time and they just develop coping strategies. But when vegans get in touch, they have been suffering with anxiety and stress for quite some time. They got to the point where they were dreading Monday because of the things they would face. And then when they do mention their problems in the workplace, they were reporting that they've been just ignored and dismissed. And Geordie, being the the ethical person you are, and we know that you're not afraid of standing up for what you believe in, uh, you decided to take action against the League, didn't you? When I started to realise there's a way out from this, that I can't fight this, my motivation drew me to to the conclusion. But there was a lot of work and I was losing my money. uh, I had no enough to pay for the legal fees because I had no insurance, I had no union membership, so I had to crowdfund. But what, what was quite touching is how many people gave donations, tiny donations, £10, £5, £15. We raised more than £15,000. So when I was going through my case, I was thinking, well, now I'm not just doing this for the vegans. I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for these 500 people that had put their money on me. So I was constantly aware that I didn't want to disappoint them. What Geordie didn't know was the case he was raising money for, funded by all those small donations, would become one of the most celebrated discrimination cases in recent legal history, with repercussions right around the world. 
You're listening to The Case Files podcast with me, Kate Chabot, investigating true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases, all told with unparalleled access to the people and lawyers closest to events. In a moment, we're going to hear the remarkable way Jolie Kasamichana's case played out. But first, let's hear from Slater and Gordon employment lawyer Peter Daly. I'd been really kind of interested before I met Geordie about where this was going to go and if we could take it forward. But when I met him, that's when I really felt, wow, we can really go places with this. Peter was intrigued by the claim Geordie wanted to make against his former employers, the League Against Cruel Sports. But he'd also spotted a huge legal hurdle. Geordie brought an employment tribunal claim because he felt that he'd been treated unfairly and unlawfully. We said that one of the reasons why they dismissed Geordie was because they recognised how deeply Geordie believed in ethical veganism. And therefore, it wasn't enough simply to issue him with a reprimand or a warning. The nature of his belief meant that if he returned to work, something similar would happen again. So that's why it's his philosophical belief in ethical veganism that played so deeply into the decision to dismiss. One of the The effects of that was that we had to establish ethical veganism as a protected philosophical belief. And I confess, on first blush, I was a little bit sceptical. The establishment of a new protected philosophical belief is quite a big ask. For the case to succeed, Geordie would have to persuade a court that ethical veganism should be accepted alongside all the major religions as a protected characteristic. Discrimination law provides protections against discrimination on the grounds of age, race, sex and, of course, religion. And it's been recognised for several decades that religion is not simply the five or six or seven global religions. It's also the philosophical beliefs that lots of people live their lives behind. And the courts have wrestled with this idea of how do you define and protect a philosophy which has all of the importance and cogence as one of the major religions without casting that net so wide that you end up protecting beliefs or lifestyles which are not really at the same level as a religion. Without protected characteristics, there is no discrimination law and there is no protection against discrimination. One of the things about ethical veganism which was immediately you know very attractive to me when i when i looked at it in that in that light was that it, it's very much a world view which governs broad swathes of how ethical vegans live their lives you know distinction that i think most people would make between an ethical vegan and a simple vegan is that a simple vegan is simply somebody who does not eat animal products that doesn't necessarily go as far as a philosophy But it's not just that at all. It's about veganism for social justice, veganism for the environment. It's about how ethical vegans as individuals interact with the planet and with animals and with other human beings and with the economy and with all sorts of things. 
I didn't know really at the time of my dismissal what was the legal situation with veganism. I had a general idea that should be protected, but I didn't know the details. But we realized that ethical veganism had not gone through the courts yet as a belief tested. So then I realized, okay, I'm going to be the first one to do this. Then that big responsibility fell on my shoulders. I need to win this because if I fail, then all vegans are going to be negative effectiveness. So I needed to get the evidence. So there was a long time there compiling evidence and evidence to prove each of the points. And I, I actually produced more than 1,200 pages of evidence. We had to prepare a really detailed bundle of documents which demonstrate you know, what ethical veganism is, what its principles are, where it comes from, how it's defined how an ethical vegan manifests their belief. We had witnesses. We had a, a professor of moral philosophy at Corpus Christi College, Oxford. We had other witnesses from the, the Vegan Society uh, about what philosophical strands underpinned ethical veganism. He also worked extremely hard on it himself, didn't he? Have you ever had a client who's worked quite that hard? The amount of work Geordie did, I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. You know, the, the amount of vegan products you can buy is, is, is incredible. And the fact that Geordie was able to catalogue that and think about that and, you know, go back through his inboxes and his online shopping receipts, you know, conversations that he'd had with people, the blog posts that he'd written and all of this stuff. I think that was absolutely crucial. I mean, he was, he was an absolutely dream client. He really was. As the hearing approached, word of Geordie's case had spread. Dominic Kennedy was reporting employment tribunals for The Times. He'd been looking for a great story and had been tipped off. I went to speak to a really highly regarded barrister and he told me about this case of the vegan who was claiming that he was discriminated against for being a vegan. And there was generally an air of anticipation about this case. Do you have a feeling that this was going to be a landmark case? Yes, it certainly was going to be an important case if Geordie won. If he lost, though, it would be almost no interest at all. Quite a gamble. It was on a Friday morning in Norwich, and I turned up that morning. It's a cold morning in Norwich. The employment tribunal is inside the magistrate's court building, and there was already a load of press before the 9am opening of the building waiting outside. It was amazing because employment tribunals are usually sparsely attended, but there were so many people wanting to cover this case that they actually rationed access to the room. And uh, myself and a, a rival from the Daily Telegraph were the first in the queue through the door. It was absolutely packed out. Every chair was taken. And how would you describe Geordie that day? What impression did he make? So Geordie turns up, he always wears all black, which makes him easy to spot for photographers outside court buildings. His black clothing is all made from animal-free materials, which of course it would be. And he had a beard. And I'd read that he uses vegan-friendly electricity, which I'd never oh. heard of, but <laughs> it's a type of electricity that doesn't use biofuels produced from animal agriculture. So I was able to say that his beard had been trimmed using vegan-friendly electricity. So that was Geordie sitting there, completely morally appropriate. There were supporters of Geordie there, of course. They were very young. They were like a young generation, student age. And they were all sitting there, very excited. And the judge had clearly read the whole document which consisted of Geordie's 
witness statement, lengthy description of his amazing life he has, and also the statements from learned academics. One of the witnesses took to the witness stand and took the oath and then was told that there were no questions. So they just got straight back off the witness stand and that was the end of that. (laughs) Another witness was scheduled to arrive a little bit later in the day. And by the time he arrived, it was all over. It was over almost in a flash. (laughs) By then, Geordie had already won. So it it was absolutely a tribute to the strength of the case, over in a flash. And Geordie, that moment the judge ruled in your favour and made ethical veganism a protective characteristic. How did you feel? Well, that, that was quite emotional because he started to describe my life. He started reading the summary judgment. This man wakes up in the morning in a bed that doesn't have any other products and showers with a soap that hasn't been tested on animals and then goes to a breakfast and, there is no... and he was describing my life. And every time that he was doing this, I was welling up. I was kind of getting emotional because I was thinking, look, this is the kind of things I do in my privacy. And many people think, why you do this? Why you waste your time? Nobody's watching. But when I do it, I think this is important. This is important why I do this thing. And now here you go, you have a judge telling you, yes, this is important. And all the vegans that were in the room, I could see them, they were feeling the same emotion because they all do the same thing that I do. And that was like the first time officially that we were recognized that effort that we made is a worthwhile thing to do. And then eventually when he said, yes, I overwhelmingly think that veganism is a protective belief and he used this word overwhelmingly, that could not be better as a judgment. And that, then I felt, wow. It's always amazing when you're, you literally on this occasion, have a front seat in history. We're sitting there watching an event that will change society. And it went round the world in absolutely no time. By that afternoon, French newspapers, Liberation in Paris and everybody, massive stories about how vegans were now protected under equality laws. It, It was really significant to watch. What it is, is a very concise set of reasons which allow any other ethical vegan to understand why they are protected by the Equality Act 2010 and why they cannot be discriminated against. What protections does a non-ethical or a plain vegan have in and of themselves, in and of that simple belief that's not protected under the Equality Act as a result of Geordie's case, but ethical vegans are able to say to their employers their HR departments, that they have this protection and that they are to be treated accordingly. And I think that's why it's so important and that's why it's a landmark because it does genuinely change the protections that ethical vegans have. It was the perfect outcome for Geordie after a terrible period in his life. But he'd won only half the battle. He still had to prove unfair dismissal. That was to take a second legal case, a tribunal with his former employer, the League Against Cruel Sports. And day six of the two-week trial, the tribunal issued a a judgment in which the respondent acknowledged that Geordie had done nothing wrong. All of his actions were motivated by his belief in ethical veganism and that they were in fact grateful to him for having raised the issues that he had raised and which they had initially dismissed him for. So... You know, this was an outcome that we were hugely, hugely pleased with. It was proof of concept that having established ethical veganism as a philosophical belief, we then went on to show how the philosophical belief can be used to protect people against being discriminated against. 
I, I didn't feel that emotional because that was just me. And I felt more emotional for the pre-hearing because that was everyone. And I felt good for everyone. While in this second part, possibly finally eliminate this blockade that prevent me to find another job. Now I could approach potential employers and they would now probably believe that I did nothing wrong. And I, I, I actually, I was a good person to hire because I get things through. Uh, so <laughs> it's a big change for me. And what about the media reaction? How, how do you think that has been and how useful has it been for you sort of promoting your cause? Well, it's been enormous. Radio shows, TV shows, podcasts, all over the place. In Jordan, in China, in Korea, in, in Philippines, in all these countries. But of course, I understand it because they all have vegans. Discrimination is the same everywhere in the world. Mm. And that's good because if you just win a case like that and nobody knows about it, there's no deterrent effect. If people don't know what the law is about, people will still discriminate you. And a country had to be the first to do this, but not the last. It's one of those step change moments in society. Nothing will quite be the same again after this case. It happened at precisely the right moment. I mean, literally, it happened on, I think, the third or fourth day in Veganuary. So everybody's mind was on veganism anyway. And at the moment, society is going through a time when people are questioning veganism and wondering if that is for them, a time when... You know, Greg's, which is basically a pie shop, has managed to transform its fortunes through a vegan sausage roll. So I think that this will always be remembered as one of the events in the history of veganism in Britain. Since the ruling, it's been hugely influential. I've got first-hand experience of immediate changes. For example, the fire service are now issuing synthetic PPE equipment to firefighters automatically if they know that they are vegans and this includes trying to replace the helmet which has a leather chin strap so policies and practices will change as a result of the ruling. You mentioned earlier Jeanette Rowley about the kind of suffering that that vegans face perhaps in the workplace um, that people don't take their beliefs seriously. How much of it do you think is literally ignorance or the fact that veganism just people some people just can't get their heads around it. Yes, I think a lot of it is ignorance. So um, since Geordie's case, the Vegan Society has now published a guide for employers which helps them understand vegan convictions and helps vegans in employment start a conversation around their needs. Already what's happened since the judgment is you started to see pension companies looking again at where money is invested and in what sectors and in what types of company which will have a positive impact on the environment and on climate change and things like this. You know, th- these are you know, ripple effects from Geordie's case, which will have a positive net effect for pretty much everybody. And what about Geordie himself? What has the effect been on his life? I already seen people sending me emails saying, look, I've been asking for soya milk in my company for years and now they provide, they provide it to me finally. Or look, a picture of a microwave only for the vegan people in the office so we don't have to mix animal products in, in the other microwave. And, and constantly, or, or schools, people saying, finally my children have me vegan options in the school dinners after me trying for months and now because of this they have it. So it's a real life changer. I imagine you're something of a hero in the vegan world. 
Well, I, I, I don't know. I think I'm a notorious person, let's put it this way. I am known now. People do get selfies of, of me sometimes. Uh, but what I want is just to give people the chance to show what you can do as a person, that you don't have to wait for the world to do things for you. You could do things for the world. Don't sit there and take it, as I used to do. Go <laughs> and fight for it, because now you have tools to fight for it. So just one last question, Geordie. You've been through an absolute roller coaster. What's next for you, Geordie? Hopefully, I'll be able to find a job. I just want to help animals. Could be doing campaigning, could be doing investigation, could be doing policy, could be doing research. I just don't want to waste my knowledge and expertise that I accumulated over the years. My ideal job is that job which I can help as many animals as possible of as many types in as many places. You know, you know, Peter, you said that he was um, a dream client, but um, how has this case affected you? Has it made an impact on your life cooking at home has gone almost entirely vegan i cannot hand <laughs> on heart say that i am a vegan but we're, we're we're very close indeed not just me but but my, my wife and kids as well and and geordie's a friend now is he very much so and you know the most important thing is to get a good result for the client and it usually follows you remain on very very good terms and and, and even friends afterwards and i very much enjoy the ethical vegan posts that pop up on my timeline now <laughs> So the message for all of us is fair treatment for vegans is not optional, it's the law. Thanks again to Peter Daly, employment lawyer at Slater & Gordon, Dr Jeanette Rowley from the Vegan Society and Times journalist Dominic Kennedy for their recollections of this landmark case. And thanks especially to Jordi Casamigiana for sharing his experience. That was great, by the way. Thank you. Really good. You make me want to turn vegan. Well, that's what I do it, you see. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know more about this story or other episodes of The Case Files, have a look at the website slatergordon.co.uk forward slash podcast or head over to our social media channels and search hashtag casefilespod and join the conversation. I'm Kate Chabot. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>